Hello and welcome to The Mason Jar on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern and this being The Mason Jar, I am joined by the star of The Mason Jar, Cindy Rollins. Cindy, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to your show. And uh, I don't even know why I'm here. Why am I here? Uh, well, you should talk more. That's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, you should be the co-star and then... <laughs> I, I'm here to give you the questions that people ask. Um and we are here to to answer some questions, uh, that, some listener questions. We've got three good questions for this for this episode, and um, we'll dive right in. But before we do, I want to say a quick word from our friends over at Ohio Christian University, who are sponsoring this episode of the Mason Jar. OCU is a values driven institution that prepares students to become servant leaders, engaging their world. Ohio Christian University's main campus is located in Circleville, Ohio, just thirty miles south of Columbus. At OCU. You can experience personal relationships with all your professor, professors through small class sizes. With a 10 to 1 student to faculty ratio, your professors will always know your name, or perhaps in this instance, maybe your, your children's names. OCU is committed to teaching a Christian classical worldview that is taught throughout all of their 30 plus degrees and majors. From programs ranging from business to ministry to teacher education, there is something at OCU for every kind of student. It's a private school education at a public school cost. Earning a four-year bachelor's degree at OCU will cost you less than half the total price of the average completion fees. Education should be affordable is what they believe at OCU. So schedule a campus visit or apply online today at ohiochristian.edu or call 1-877-7-OCU-NOW. Um, and again, that's ohiochristian.edu. Thanks to Ohio Christian University for sponsoring, and we hope that you will check out what they have to offer. If you've got um, students that are nearing the college age, or you're in, you know already looking for college, you're looking at college options. Make sure you uh, add OCU to your to your list of potential schools to check out. Wow, that sounds like a cool school. <laughs> I, I had not heard of it before. That, sometimes that's a good thing. That's a good sign sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I like that they say they're affordable in this environment where a lot of people dismiss private education um, because it's not affordable generally. So that's Yeah. Neat. And there's enough debt going around right now. It's going to be an issue. So if we can get our kids in, in and out of school with as minimal, the minimal amount of debt as possible, that's going to go a long way long term. And Southern Ohio is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You you know the area well. Yeah, Cincinnati, so much culture there. I'm on so many email lists for uh, ballet going on there, um, symphony, the uh, Cincinnati Shakespeare uh, company mm -hmm. is absolutely the best, one of the best, not, not the best, but the, one of the best. Plus, there's good food in Cincinnati. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll be in, in Cincinnati in like three weeks, actually. For well, Okay, not... yeah. That was the one thing I really I wish I had said yes to Cincinnati because um, I, I I mean, I'm all about the Skyline Chili. <laughs> uh, yeah. I saw, I, uh, you know, this is not really related to the show, but I did see that Skyline Chili was having a St. Patrick's Day. Um, oh. And so they have their Skyline Chili, but the noodles are dyed green. Oh, interesting. I wonder so, if I could even eat that. That would yeah, be weird. It didn't look super appetizing, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. But it's good stuff. I like it with um, onions and cheese. And But yeah, I saw a picture of a Coney Island, which is this, the chili on a little hot dog. Yeah, yeah. And, and I got really hungry the other day. <laughs> well, if there's nothing, if the internet's good for one thing, it's to show us all pictures and make us hungry. That's right. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Well, we, like I said, we've got three questions here, so we will, we will not um, beat around the bush any longer. Okay. Let's jump right into these. Um, I'm going to actually go in the reverse order that these got passed along to us. Okay. So this first question is, do you maintain a distinction between your roles of teacher and mother? Should there be a distinction um, for, for a homeschooling mom? What do you think about that? How did you balance uh, those two roles in your home? And was there a distinction between them for you? Or maybe if there was, if there was not a distinction, was it a conscious decision on your part? Yeah, I don't think it was a conscious decision on my part. And no, I don't think I had a distinction. But I do think there could be room for a distinction. Mm. Um, I don't think, I think there's something really natural and organic about the mom and really as a homeschooling mom you're not always the teacher but you're more like the administrator mm. so you are in many ways you teach like in morning time in morning time I look at it more as we're all just learning together so mm. mom is actually part of the learning and I think that happens a lot too across the board mm. because um, mom is part of the learning environment. So many moms at the end of their homeschooling career know so much more than they did at the beginning that um, you're, you didn't start out teaching your kids. Like, I didn't know any, I mean, I'm teaching my son about George Washington and Daniel Boone, and I'm learning all that stuff. I mean, I knew the names, but I knew so little about the people hmm. besides just their, you know, who they were. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, that so I was the teacher and I was the mom, but I was also the learner. But I do think there's a sense of frustration as the children get older between that role, the role, then it starts to fragment a little bit. Um, it works very well, like say through middle school. Mm -hmm. Then as a child gets into the upper middle school, eighth grade, ninth grade, it, it becomes harder because, um, the mom and you know you have to require certain things for this child to graduate from high school yeah and it it just becomes a little bit more difficult to to decide when am i mom when when am i the person that says no you're not going to graduate unless you do what i say hmm. uh, and the yeah. child is he is he going to in in his in his assertion of himself as a person is he going to just reject what his mom is saying or is he going to reject what his administ school administrator is saying is it, uh, so. is, is it is this distinction become more pronounced as the child then is carving out their own independence as, as they've just become more independent whether it's a boy or a girl is that where the this distinction between the role of teacher and mother tends to be the most pronounced i think so i think it's as the child is looking to create their own identity um, then how is he going to relate to you? Is he going to relate to you as his teacher or as his mother? Mm. And um, and I think there, every homeschooling mom would looks around one day and says, I just wish I could be a mom and not not the one in charge of this child's future as far as teaching them, making sure, especially if they're being uncooperative. You know, let, you just want to send them somewhere where you can be their mom. You can do the mom things. You can put the little notes in the lunchbox and mm. they can go to school and, and, and you, and you don't have to be the, the responsible one. Um, the, the person responsible for the fact that this child is not, um, you know, doing what they're supposed to do at this point. Mm. I mean, even a child that's cooperating, I think sometimes moms just want to be mom. They don't want to be the teacher. And, and I think, I think there is a, a time to just, 
not be the teacher as far as um, just putting that aside. Like, like, like you don't want to be in a perpetual argument with a child over things. You want to say, okay, now, now we're going to go on a picnic or now we're going to go on a family outing and this is going to have nothing to do with, uh, I mean, because it's so organic, it's really hard to figure all that out (laughs) because you are everything you do. You know, education is a life. So it naturally, if you go to the museum or you go on a family outing, you want it to be educational and you would, whether you were the teacher or not, but sometimes it's maybe good to step back and let, and I do think uh, Charlotte Mason and I have on the Patreon site soon, I don't have it up yet, but there, there is a whole section um, I'm reading aloud about um, masterly inactivity. And Mm. I think that would come in here. Mm. Um, Mom, there needs to be a certain amount of stepping back and letting the child take responsibility for himself or herself. And at the same time being, you're still in charge of the child. I mean, there's still the parent and you, yeah. there are certain requirements with that. But the child also, I'm, I'm looking for this book here, if I could get this paragraph. Which which of her books is it from? It's from Home Education. And if you turn to the section in Home Education that would apply to this, it would be the section called, on page eight, called A Method, A Way to an End. And in this section, she goes into this whole concept of um, masterly inactivity. Nope, I'm sorry. That is the wrong page. It would be page five. Nothing could be better for the child than this masterly inactivity so far as it goes. It is well he should be let grow and help to grow according to his nature. And so long as the parents do not step in to spoil him, much good and no very evident harm comes of letting him alone. But this philosophy of let him be while it covers a part does not cover the serious part of the parent's calling does not touch the strenuous, incessant efforts upon lines of law which go to the producing the human at his best. So so we do. You, she t- so she talks in this whole section, and if you want to pull this out and read it, about that, about that whole dichotomy of, of being responsible for a child and yet um, letting, letting go and letting the child um, come to his own come into his own, so to speak. Hmm. Do you, well, okay. <clears throat> when we're talking about distinction in these roles, do you think that, do you think it can be a problem when the duties of the roles overlap too much? I mean, I know this, so like, cause the duties of a mother, even the kinds of discipline perhaps, but the duties of housekeeping or whatever, and the duties of a teacher can can they sometimes they can blend together and sometimes they can be distinct. Do you think that in a perfect world, I know it's not possible in most homes, but do you think in a perfect world, those roles, those duties would be distinct or is it actually a good healthy thing when they blend together within the context of our children's education? Yeah, I think like everything, both. (laughs) Sadly, I can see both. I, I can see situations where it's definitely unhealthy for them to blend together. But I can all, I've also seen situations where it's unhealthy that they don't blend together, that, that the mom, a mom might not see the big picture. Like if the child is in school and the child is learning um, on this level and it's completely separated, then um, 
somebody, nobody has a big picture of what's actually going on. Hmm. And I think that's a problem. So um, I think there, I think there is this healthy balance and everybody's searching for it. And the sad thing is there's like Charlotte Mason said, there is no, no system that I can tell you about that will give you that healthy balance. You're going to have to know that it is a healthy balance. There is a balance. And it, as you see yourself getting off balance, you know, here and off balance there, you're just going to have to keep wiggle waggling back and forth mm. to to the middle ground so that you can you can find the healthy balance you can't mm. rest too much in in being mother and not teacher and you can't rest too much in being teacher and not mother and as the child gets older you want to transfer more and more and more the responsibility to the child mm. so that by the child time the child is a senior um, even a junior those are not mom teacher times. Those are times when mom is overseer and, and the child is, um, is learning um, either through what he's been assigned or, but he is finding that um, online or, or through, you know, Khan Academy or through uh, the Cersei, uh, the whole, you know, your whole, the whole, um, online courses thing somewhere along the way, but mom at that point is it should be less of a teacher and more more of an administrator, more helping the child, as most moms are at that point. How you know we're going to go to college? Where are we going to go? Can I help you get get you know what do you what are you looking at? But even then, that should be most. It, it you know my son worked in uh, at Covenant college in the administration of, um, and in the admissions and he said you could always tell the homeschooling moms when they walked in the door because they they were the ones um, speaking and talking to the administrators and and the admission officers and the kids were you know the mom kind of took mom needs to back up at that point mom needs to let the kids do the talking mm. the kids look at the college the kids know where they want to go to college not i mean obviously money comes into it but right, um, right. but she needs to back off by that point mm. as a mom and as a teacher mm. yeah okay let's move on to this next question how do you overcome school choice insecurity? Um, the questioner then says, i.e. you're homeschooling, but going through a life transition stage where it feels like you can never give enough attention to school. So overcoming school choice insecurity, I, I assume part of this is like just feeling like maybe the homeschool option is is not enough. Yeah, I think I think you just have to realize that every schooling situation is going to have downfalls so so when the homeschool does have a downfall sometimes we would just want to throw in the town and say well it would be so much better if I sent them to school because it wouldn't have this downfall and it might not but it's going to have another one so um yeah we, we forget so that you're saying when, there's no perfect option yeah yeah and we forget that when we're when we're in the middle of like say a crisis in the family a child maybe maybe uh somebody's in the hospital and you, you feel terrible. Your your home isn't run the way it should be. Your, you know, there's this overwhelming crisis. It's nobody's learning anything. Or mom, could say mom, be, it could even be like normal everyday crises, like someone like you know you're pregnant or you've got yes, a baby yeah. or you know doesn't even have to be traumatic. 
Yeah. Or even on bed rest or just even just new baby in the house. You're right. I mean, and sometimes when you have a bunch of those in a row, even little things, (laughs) it it adds up to where you feel like, oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. I mean, we moved a lot and, you know, then we had a lot of babies. So there was a lot of disruption and, and yeah, that does, um, number one, if you're, if you make sure your kids are reading, if your number one priority is, is teaching reading, then, um, then that, that's going to, the, the sooner the, and I don't mean the sooner the better, I don't want to say that because some kids read late and it's nothing, absolutely no, nothing wrong with the late reading child. Um, often those children are very much the most intelligent children, but, um, you, you do have this feel, if, you know, if the kids are, if, if you, sometimes those times, that's just part of the organic nature of learning. And sometimes kids make great leaps when you're not having school. Um, it, you know, when not, you're, you're not having it. Like the formal. The, the way you want to have it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's where I always say, make hay while the sun shines. Um, do as much as you can when things are going well. And then you don't have to worry that, uh, by, over the fact that, oh, you've had three months of, of just not getting anything done. Because honestly, um, I, and I'm now heavily involved in the public school, I don't think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> um, you can't get behind the public schools. It would be virtually impossible. And I say that it, it's this is not the fault of the teachers. There are... I. I have never been so impressed with people as I have been with the public school teachers that my son has had, hmm. but he doesn't have as, you know, they don't have that. They re, they don't have that much time um, yeah, with when yeah. you add up all the um, things that um, happen in school and, and just, um, just what gets actually covered or what's, what's able to be covered. Yeah. You really have a lot of time at home the to cover those issues. things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You really have a lot of time at home, more time than you realize. And um, if you're just semi-faithful when you can be, then you don't have to worry about the fact that. Now, there may be situations uh, where um, a death in the family, like a, a death of a parent, where you may need to take a break and put your child in school Um just so you can take care of the logistics of life for for a time and and then reevaluate you know you don't always you can make temporary decisions uh, um, and not have to feel like you're you know locked in yeah or that you're failing you know no exactly and in some families that's the best thing they can, they can do i mean um and, and and it's not a bad thing there's some wonderful options out there and even the public school uh, you know, if, if you choose to make that, make that decision, um, God is big enough to take care of that and make that, um, you know, if that's really what you need for your family. Um, but I don't think any homeschooler needs to worry that they're not keeping up. Uh, If they're, if your kids are reading, you're keeping up. And the other part of that is, is that if you've cultivated, you know, the right environment, then kids naturally are going to keep learning. Kids want to learn on their own. And the biggest issue tends to kids tend not to do that because of their environment. You know, like studies show, for example, that little, little children being read to is the number one, one of the, or at least one of the number one determiners in terms of their 
future success as a student. So, and that has nothing to do with what kind of school, homeschool, public school, private yeah, exactly. school. It, it's across the board. That's, yes. Yep. And it really does come down to that. If a child is going to do good in homeschool or he's in a family that cares to homeschool, if he's in that same family that cares and he's in a public school or a private school, he's still going to do better than yeah, in, in any of those situations. It's true whether it's an affluent, you know, an affluent family or, you know, a, a and you know, underprivileged family in the inner city or in a rural area or whatever it is, you know, it's regardless of demographics, it's it's regardless of race, you know, and regardless of you know whether it's a boy or a girl. I mean, things like being read to in the right kind of environment, influencing them, or being part, being in the right kind of environment, determines so much about how a student's you know academic future. And so, if you you don't have to like cover every subject every day, but if you read to them and as you've said, and then if they're in the right environment, if you cultivate a kind of an environment where, you know, learning is, um, yeah, they're, they can it, learn on it, their it own. It doesn't have it, to be formal. Right. 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 If they're, they're reading gonna... or you're reading, if you can't do anything else for six months, but read, then, then, um, you know, just do that. And then, um, and most then of the you... time, go ahead. Sorry. No, I thought, no, I I there, was a glitch. there was a glitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, I was just, just going to say that most of the time, the things that are most impressive that our students learn have nothing to do with us. Yes, that's like so you, true. You're like, I don't know that I ever taught you that, but I'm glad that this is something that you're so passionate about now or you know so much about, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I always laugh because I would say, I would be re- reading in morning time and someone would know something and I'd be like, oh, where did you learn that? And of course, the answer was usually... Uh, Asterix. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, okay, well, well, at least you learned it. Um, yeah. um, or Tintin or something like yeah, totally yeah. outside of my radar for learning. Um, yeah. But they, they, they would remember it because they, they love, you know, certain things and, uh, and they, they do, they're always learning, <laughs> especially in an environment of learning where, where that's become part of, part of just the way you are as a family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go to this last, this last question here. Um, and you're going to have to help me with, with a word here. I, I don't yeah, know. How to I, you know what? I forgot to look up how to pronounce that too. So we'll just muddle some, through it. <laughs> some listener will let us know. This is this last question. What are your thoughts on the Danish? Higgy? Uh, I always say Higgy in my H-I-G-E. head, but okay. I don't know. Let me see. H-Y-G-G-E. What are your thoughts on this this Danish trend that all the I like this question that all the homeschool moms are appropriating? Um, so I guess this is a trend. I don't know a lot about this, um, but apparently this is a trend that all the homeschool moms are appropriating. What are your Hugo, thoughts on this? Hoogie, hoogie, hooja. I'm trying to. I can't even pronounce it with the pronunciation um, <laughs> listed. Yeah. So let's call it just minimalism. Will that help? Could we call it? But it's a, a Danish word for the mood of coziness and comfortable conviviality with feelings of wellness and contentment. Um, yeah. I mean that part of it. I think is nice. Huga, I think. I think is how it's pronounced. Huga. What? Okay. The BBC says Huga. That's the BBC. Huga. Huga. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not how I was pronouncing it at all in my mind. No, me neither. Uh, yeah, but I'm not Danish, so um, yeah. I mean, of course, it's it's it sounds like a wonderful thing. I have a. I started thinking a little bit about the whole um, um, minimalism trend in in the culture, and at first, I 
I'm a minimalist at heart, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I relate to the uh, comfortable conviviality. It's like, if do we all want to find a hobbit hole somewhere and make a cup of tea and learn? Yes, we do. <laughs> so who could be against that wellness and contentment? It's really, on the one hand, I think that's a wonderful thing. On the other hand, I, I'm beginning to suspect that minimalism is a kind of a psychological desire to avoid uh, making mistakes in life and that there's some danger in in feeling like you can control your environment like it's a sense of control over things that um, obviously you know we want our our environment to be beautiful as best we can but sometimes you know that beauty is going to look different than maybe um, first of all we can't I can't buy a Monet. I, I can't afford it. I can't yeah. even hardly afford a reproduction or a um, an Amazon uh, a print poster. of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, poster of it. So, so, so our our we don't want to we don't want to substitute. I feel like if we if we're if we're trying to make this unstained perfect world, then there's some danger in that. Um, it, it's it's it, to to truly we have to go farther. We have to be uncomfortable a little bit. We have to, um, you know, you have to make a mess to make a true piece of art. Uh, um, you know, an artist can't just keep the environment perfect while they're making the artwork. They have to get messy. So I think that we have to be careful that we're not so in control of our environment that we're stifling um, creativity in, in the environment. On the other hand, I, I mean, there is a sense of that that creativity blossoms in that kind of environment. But we really could go back to Bilbo, <laughs> and he has his his Huga, he has his little Hobbit hole, he has his life in order, and as all hobbits do. That's what they like. They like that um, that type of lifestyle, and it's a wonderful lifestyle. But what m makes him truly, truly love it and appreciate it is that he goes on an adventure. So I think all that's grand, except that we do need to go on an adventure sometimes and make a mess and fall down and get our, our knees hurt and, and, and really um, face the, the, the dragons and the spiders and the, and the, the giants and the goblins and, and the, the orcs and all that in order to actually come back to our homes and, and appreciate that sort of cozy sense of wellness. I mean, I don't think without the backdrop of the adventure, we can we can really have the true, the true Hugie, <laughs> whatever it's called. Yeah. Huga? Huga. Um, something. Yeah. yeah. Did you find that you would go through specific periods in your life or, you know, in your, in your parenting life where, where this kind of, you know, we're being sort of huga about it would, uh, <laughs> was like a super high priority for you. And then you would try really, really hard for a while. And then you would realize, oh, I can't do this right now. And then you like come in and out or did you just, or do you think that, I, I don't guess, I don't know. Yeah, what I mean, we, is, but... I, I joke around about, we had tea parties for a while every day and the boys, you know, no boy, our boy 
they love tea parties. I mean, that was never something they were like, oh, we're going to have a tea party. <laughs> they, <laughs> there were cookies involved. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're bribing them to take part. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, Re- and Rewarding. Yeah, rewarding. And and morning time is kind of like that. It's But there are times when you, I think what happens in the family is you, you have, you'll enact something like that and you'll do it for months, maybe even a year. And then all of a sudden something will squeeze it out and you'll forget about it. And yeah. then one day you'll say, well, wonder why we're not doing that anymore and you can either go back to it or not i don't think anybody should feel um guilty if they're in if they're if you're in a season where that you can do that i think it's awesome but if you're if you're not in that season then then so be it you just have to uh enjoy enjoy the season you're in but um i i do think there is a danger of of um of taking the ideal and making it um hmm. the the end the where we live we don't really live in the ideal yeah, so yeah. so we can't feel guilty about that there's there's we're not going to live there we're not going to be able to create that and, and, and our ability to create that is limited and so we can we can imitate it in some ways and that's good but we can't forget that it's not um well, do you think that we um, sometimes it's, it's easy to take the ideal and turn it into an idol? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the whole homeschooling movement was mm. based, has done that over and over again to the point where we've just uh, jumped from one teacher to the next who was, oh, that didn't work. So let's find the other, let's find the ideal here. Let's find the ideal here. Mm. Constantly looking for perfection that's not going to be what we're, what, we're not going to find it and what the problem with that isn't that we're we're searching for it but that we we we're ex, we exclude and we leave out and we we dismiss other people and other because because we think we have found a system of perfection and and I feel like you know maybe we're doing a little better than that than we were. I actually think that we're just substituting a lot of times. And, and I don't. It's not just homeschooling's fault. I'm, I'm sure we as humans um, tend to do this no matter you know what sub subgroup we're in. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, you know, I I guess tribalism, like the different yeah, tribes, yeah. kind of comes out of that. Like you you look at your way of doing things or the ideas that you've come across, and you say, you know the fact that they have something good for them because you know it becomes your idol you kind of worship it like you see it in classical education on the one hand you can see it in, in just like anybody that's like super super purist about something and i don't mean that like i know some people claim that they're charlotte mason purists or whatever i'm not right right throwing that under the bus like i don't i'm not saying that's an inherently wrong thing to be a purist but if you get too purist about it then it becomes you know the system itself becomes the idol um, yeah, and I think maybe that's why I've had such a reaction to the word purist. It's not that the people are trying to follow Charlotte Mason purely are wrong. Right, but right. I've seen so many. It's like now that and I don't want to let me say this, and, and I'm not saying this about them, but I'm saying this about the word. The minute we start talking about purist in any in anything, it really makes me nervous because I've seen already been around the block a few times and I've seen one person after the other basically saying, here, here, here's the right way here, look here, look here. 
and this is the pure way, this is the way, even so much as having pure children, (laughs) Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. having, uh, if you want to talk about the purity culture, uh, you know, the whole, you know, courting and dating. I mean, we've just seen, I've just seen so many people come along and say, this is how you do it. This is the pure way and have that be just a terrible, terrible thing for the people who followed it or, or went after it. And I think in history, it's the same way you hit, you have fascism, which is based on purity of thought, purity of of vision or purity of uh, keeping everything out that doesn't contribute to our ideal. Hmm. And um, it, it doesn't end well. It's the same thing in methods, you know, some ways, like whether it's, this is the, this is the purest, truest, you know, best way to teach reading, for example, or to teach, you know, that's like a microcosm of what you're talking about, because on the one hand, not every student is the same. So one method, you know, it might work for most, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for every student. Um, And if you say that it's the best, then that automatically means you're leaving someone out. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to, to have opinions. I think this is where, we get into trouble. It's okay to feel strongly about something yeah, and disagree right. with somebody. Right, right. But you also have to do that with respect for the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. These things don't exist in vacuums, so to speak. Right, right. And and it's interesting reading the first chapter here for, of of home education that she talks. That's what she's talking about with the difference between a system and a method. And, and so she's saying that about her own self. Like I'm going to have over arcing principles, but because you have individual children and your children are born persons, um, you, this is not going to be a system that you can plug in. This is going to be, yeah. these are going to be principles that you take and plug into your family in a different way and maybe into your children. Different children are going to have different ways of looking. Maybe you, the way you approach art is going to be different with the one child than it is with the other or nature study. Uh, yeah, my student yeah. that I'm teaching right now happens to love birds and love um Shakespeare. Well, it's hard for me to get him off birds onto mammals. You know, he, he just we're always, you know, pushing back towards the birds. So, um, so hey, you know, you can learn a lot about birds, and and I, I tend to give into that because um, he cares, and I want him to care. So, it's like my son with snakes. Yeah, dude, snakes. I know what a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's moderately obsessed. That's funny. Do you see a lot of snakes? Well, I do now. <laughs> oh, does he have snakes? <laughs> no, but um, like, you know, if we see them outside occasionally and he'll yeah, try yeah. to make sure we they stick around for a while. But then, he, he, you know, we ended up, you know, you go to places you never thought you'd go. Like I was never into reptiles. But then yeah. next thing you know, you're at a reptile fair and you're holding like, you oh, yeah. know, like you're showing like you, you, the things we do for our kids, right? Like a, you, you have a um, some kind of snake wrapped around your shoulders, just so you. Yes, can yes. So you know, because he wants you. Dad's to. not afraid. Dad's not afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Anyway, anyway, we could probably talk about this forever. Now, you've mentioned a couple times that um, you mentioned the Patreon and the home education book that you're going through. If you if you listeners are um, enjoying, you know, if you enjoy Cindy's commentary on Charlotte Mason, on the Patreon page uh, where you know uh, Patreon donors um, have access, uh, Cindy is going through home education a few paragraphs at a time. She's reading it aloud and then offering commentary. And like 
what, 10 to 15 minute increments? Yeah, they're really short. I yeah. mean, some are eight, some, I think with the longest, I just went through a whole three pages and it was maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Okay. So yeah, Cindy's doing that. If you want to, if you don't have access already and you want to um, learn where you can get access to that, I think for as little as $2 a month or something like that, you can have access to all these um, bonus, uh, these bonus podcasts that she's doing where she's going through home education. Plus you have access to any of Cindy's talks that she's given over the years at various Cersei conferences. So there's like dozen or whatever number of talks on there that she's given. So if you'd like to hear those things, you can go over to patreon.com slash mason jar, or you can just go to patreon.com and put in the mason, put in mason jar podcast in the search bar. And that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com. And I think, like I said, it's for as little as um, $2 a month um, for the higher level. I think it's maybe like 10 a month. We have a really cool Charlotte Mason poster that we made that we're mailing to people as well. So um, you can support the show and get great bonus content um, by, you know, by yeah, I'm having a blast reading through this and I can do it on my own time. And yeah. Yeah. And fun. they're consumable. Those, you know, there's a lot to think about in those. So doing it in 15 minute increments, you know, is, is, you know, it's not like an hour long show where you're just, you're kind of getting hit over the head with these ideas. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, Cindy. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we go? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to everyone who's been listening. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show through Patreon. And um, if you want to join the conversation, you can head over to the Mere Motherhood Facebook page where there's just lots of great conversation always going on there. Lots of great questions and uh, lots of great wisdom. I'm always, I've said it before, I'm always... I'm amazed and, and uh, mm. honored to see all the wise moms who were on there sharing things. And I'm, you know, just a dad kind of paying attention from afar, trying not to be too nosy. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, if you, if you want to send in questions for a future episode of The Mason Jar, you can email Cindy at cindy at ordo-amoris.com or feel free to email me at david at cerciinstitute.com and we will get to, you know, three or four of those every Q&A episode in the middle of every month. I guess that's it. So for Cindy Rollins, for all of us here at the Cersei Institute, I am David Kern. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time on The Mason Journal.